Hello, welcome to the Messy Truth Leadership Podcast. This is where we share stories of the real world, what we call the messy truth, about leading and leadership. Nikki, hi, how are you? I'm okay, uh, Gavin, how are you? Yeah, well, okay is the operative word. Both you and I have had a really interesting few days with uh, working with clients. Yes. And particularly around this whole topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so since it's topical for you and I, perhaps a great, a great conversation to have here and now as well. Yes, let's talk. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've had a couple of examples in the last few days where so stories that might illustrate some interesting ideas, but I'm particularly interested in what you told me uh, about the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the story of your particular client. And the, you know, I want to, I want to call it the sort of the ongoing battle of uh, diversity and inclusion. I mean, some, for some people, it's not a battle, obviously. It's a kind of slow, step-by-step kind of change. But sometimes it is a bit of a battle. Yeah. So do you want to just frame a little bit about this, this story, this experience you've had in the last, I guess, three or four days? So I think in the context of the time that we are in right now, where issues around institutional exclusion are making most organizations and corporations wake up and say, oh boy, you know, we're part of the problem. And, you know, the ones who are truly committed to making a difference and changing that are now deep in some really challenging conversations. Yes. So one organization that I'm working with has, you know, shifted strategy, is trying to shift how they're organized, how they work together to put diversity, equity, and inclusion at the centerpiece of everything that they do. The hoped-for results are that they operate in all of the activities that they do from a more systemic view of some of the problems, and that ultimately the composition of their organization and the people that they invite into it will be, in fact, more diverse. And for them, diverse is a broad definition of younger people, Mm. people of color, people from different socioeconomic groups, but just um, they're committed and impassioned by it. So A, step one, check that off the list. Step two, the CEO is also passionately committed, which you know, you and I have talked about this before. If you don't have that, then, you know, it's window dressing, it's platitudes. It's a very, very long road if you don't have that. Yeah. And it's, you know, diversity training and that's that. There's no teeth. There's no teeth in it. So this organization also has CEO commitment and willing to make some tough decisions to make sure that that's front and center. What's fascinating to me as I watch it unfold is that, you know, the leadership team has been involved in a series of conversations for several months now about how to actually make their goals enacted and come to pass. And it's quite a, it's quite a relatively speaking, it's quite a diverse group of people on that team, you told Yes. Me. So ironically, it's the most diverse te- leadership team I've ever worked with. So there's older and younger. I think it's uh, the white people are the minority. So there's Latino, Asian, 
black. So uh, I'm just trying to think. Uh, uh, all born in this country, though, I believe. Yeah. So, so no international people. It's it's maybe over sixty percent are diverse, younger, whatever. So you would think that that would be a uh, <laughs> an easier conversation to have because of people's lived experiences that what they were bringing to the conversation might make the conversation go easier. Yeah. And it's thing. not, it's not <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've been kind of, you know, thinking about it, you and I've been talking about it and I thought that we should just, you know, share some preliminary thinking that we're in because I think we're at this moment of truth and I, I, I don't want to be held to something I believe today. If six months from now, you and I both have tried so many different things in organizations and none of them are working. Yeah. But before, you know, we get to those couple of points, you were saying that, you know, you're working on this with the client group as well right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at a, you know, less complex scenario than you are, but one of the lessons I think, as you framed it, you know, it is a moment where a lot of these organizations, big and small, you know, in traditional corporate America are looking at this question of diversity, equity, inclusion, and trying to figure out what to do with it. And, and we'll talk about this some more in, in a little bit, I'm sure. But that, in the way you and I would frame that, is very much a change right. problem, a question of how to change. But before we get to that, I mean, the, the perspective that, that I've been hearing, from, particularly from one leader of a sort of mid-sized organization, has been how in this virtual world, where so much of these conversations are video-related, and so many of these individuals are dispersed around, you know, they're not coming into work, they're dispersed in their, in their homes. What this CEO has told me is the moment may be helpful to him in creating some change because ethically speaking, he's saying, well, wait a second, if my people can be dispersed around a much wider physical area, then I have, and we have as an organization, no excuse in not doing our damnedest to find the best person for the role here, wherever they are, wherever they live, wherever they're located. Exactly. So, you know, a CEO, you know, who is committed to it, like, like the one you're working with, is essential. And also a CEO that is saying, well, hang on a minute, there's a moment in time where there is really no excuse left where, you know, we can't get deep into this problem. I can hire people, I can recruit people from all over now. So there's no excuse for me to say, well, if they're, in, if they're not in a specific location, and if my organization is located in a, just for the sake of argument, a white upscale neighborhood, then I'm going to attract employees from that neighborhood or, or adjacent neighborhoods. Well, maybe, but that is not the only answer now, because in a virtual world where so much work can be done virtually, you know, the, the line of sight can be, be spread much wider. So you know, he was saying to me, actually, I'm finding myself in a position where I have the sort of momentum behind me because we really don't have any excuse anymore for not looking for the best people wherever they are. So in that sense of diversity and inclusion, I just thought that was quite a, an interesting way of looking at it, of, you know, looking at the problem through this virtual Zoom video world, which you know, I hadn't really considered before. So I think that's one aspect to it. I but really for, love that. I have to say, as somebody who was in charge of recruitment and hiring in my a past life, 
that was the complaint I was getting all the time. You know, we just can't find professionals of color to fill these roles in our community, of which I never bought in the first place. You know, I call BS on that every day. But now, as your client is saying, no excuses left. So I I love that. I mean, there are corollaries to that, I think, which are as a team leader or as a functional leader, CEO, then you have to address questions that would naturally follow that, such as how do we ensure the culture here? How do we build norms of behavior? How do we communicate with everyone? And that's a learning process. And and this particular CEO was saying to me, not related to diversity inclusion at all, but I can can see how it, it would need to be connected at some point. This notion that with people just so dispersed, it's re- he finds it incredibly important to have an, a town hall meeting for as many people as possible in the organization every two weeks because everyone is so, so dispersed that if you're not keeping, they're physically dispersed, but they get emotionally dispersed very quickly and emotionally distant very quickly. So he's finding the need to keep people connected regularly through this town hall. So, you know, there are a number of sort of corollaries that we can get to. Right. But so that's one way of framing this kind of diversity in this virtual world. But I think your example isn't specifically about the virtual world. It's it's a more generic question, whether it's a physical world or a virtual world around, you know, how to institute this kind of change, which is so, well, emotionally uh, complicated complicated yeah so <laughs> or messy yeah so let's get into that a little bit so uh you mentioned to me earlier that you, you we might want to describe this as both intergenerational and ethnic i mean i think there are all kinds of different dynamics going on in your particular organization but you were saying that the the, the leadership team is quite diverse but the bulk of the population is less so i think right right so the composition of the organization is overwhelmingly white so again one of the other checkboxes in trying to improve diversity in organizations is to make sure that your leadership team reflects what you're aiming for well again check that box for them. Okay. So you've got the CEO involvement. You've got the whole leadership team committed. You've got a diverse leadership team. And yet (laughs) it's not working yet. Yet, I should say, I'm optimistic because they're at the point now of saying, okay, so how do we shift gears in this organization? How do we demonstrate that diversity and inclusion is a priority? And so, as as you said a moment ago, you and I look at this as, oh, it's a change agenda. And I will tell you, and maybe this is like the big aha I'm learning in this whole process, is if you only think about really instituting powerful DEI policies, actions, culture change, etc., and you think about it as an isolated issue, but you don't think of it as really what this is, is a, is a large scale change management issue, because then you could look at it. Oh, people are just resistant to diversity. Mm. Oh, people are just, you know, uncomfortable with people who aren't like them. And I think part of what I'm learning in this process, because I am working with such a mixed team is, uh, no, people have their turf wars. People have their inability to change. People have their, I have the right answer. Nobody else does. And so what's happening is, is that 
from where I'm sitting and observing this, the whole struggle of I personally have to change and I need to lead change in this organization, that that's the more critical issue in that is standing in the way of creating a more diverse workforce. Yeah, I see that. And actually, Nikki, when I think about postings that I see online for you know, senior DE&I, VPs, DE&I, you know, directors of it, you know, organizations trying to hire for this role. I'm wondering whether they, if they are hiring for that very thing, because in the end, it's a systemic, someone who needs to understand how to change systemically, right? Exactly. It has to be systemic. And Again, the irony here is that you have this diverse team and they still can't change it systemically. I've got to share this one story from a Black leader on this team. And this is like such a litmus test, okay? She said anytime she is either like going to make a charitable donation or in yours and my world, and I, because I do this, you know, I'm a client, a potential client is called and, you know, you're, you're getting that call. And you go to the website and you're looking at who's on this team, right? And this woman was saying she determines whether or not she's going to give a charitable donation when she opens up who's on the leadership team. And if it's all very vanilla, yeah, she moves on to the next charitable organization. And for me, I do the same thing as a consultant. If I open up the leadership team and I go like, oh my God, a whole, you know, another group of all white people and mostly male at that. So then I click down one and I look at who's on the board and then I go like, oh my God, more white. I mean, it's, it's even less diverse. That is who people greet. They see the website, they're introducing themselves to this organization. And if all they have is a diversity officer, and the rest of the team, all the all these key leadership roles are, you know, 80, 90% white, that sends the signal. And so um, I, I think we've come to a moment in time where everybody knows that it can't just be a diversity officer that's going to create the magic. But I will tell you that in my client, they're putting all their eggs in that basket. Well, they- if they can combine that requirement with, with the you know, human resource, people, culture kind of function into one, you know, one leadership role that has responsibility for all that. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a, you know, potentially good future. But having a DE&I person that is suddenly responsible in and of him or herself, you know, creating this massive systemic change, I'm very skeptical about that. Absolutely. I, the only times I've seen it work, and recently as if the CEO is joined at the hip with that person. Yeah. And then that person, that DEI officer is just forcing the change, influencing the change every day. Yeah. And so I think one of the other issues, and again, we see this with change management stuff in general, is everybody agrees up front, we need to do X. And then, you know, you convene a series of conversations about, okay, how are we going to do that? Who needs to be thinking this through? What should the roadmap look like? This and that. And the other thing is that even if you get to a pretty interesting collaborative point of view about what's possible at that moment of truth, when you've got to pull the trigger, you're going to rearrange who sits where, you're going to create new roles, you're going to eliminate certain functions, you're, you're going to actually create the change. 
Who reports to whom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of those changes. At that moment, you and I are very familiar with that. It's like everybody snaps right back into like, oh, no, 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 no. We didn't mean that kind of change. I, I meant everybody else can change. I don't need to change. No, no, no. It's that department over there that is totally redundant. My department reigns. And all of a sudden you see all the old territoriality and all of the, um, yeah, that old, like when the rubber hits the road, the change is actually going to happen. You need to enact it. And I will just say that the shame of it all it, with this particular client group is that, so now what's happening is kind of like the change management anxiety is overriding. Exactly. It's overriding the good diversity solutions. The good intentions and the great plans because they don't have that uh, yet that, as you said, you're hopeful, but they don't have yet that kind of transition um, planning approach. But to your um, point earlier, the you're hopeful because the CEO is right behind it and they will get, you know, they'll eventually get to the to the right change solutions and the person that they've invested all the time in to conceive and execute this is close to the CEO and and is central in the HR team, right? Right. So, I mean, you know, I'm crossing my fingers and I think, you know, where I am now in thinking about this, because I think even in our conversations, and I think in the conversation that's going on out there, is that the DEI stuff has been compartmentalized. Yep. Even though everybody now knows that it's got to be throughout the whole organization, et cetera, there's still a notion that it is, um, and you can see it, as you say, by how many jobs online there are for diversity officers, that kind of if there is a di- somebody in charge of it, then the same thing will happen with all kinds of other things. You know, like you hire, you know, the organization development person or the talent development person is like, okay, it's all your job. None of us leaders are responsible for talent development. It's just that person's job. And so I think my conclusion about where things are right now is DEI is compartmentalized and it is separate from, and we're trying to enact a significant change agenda. I think we will get further in our organizations and maybe you and I as consultants in combining those two when we're having these conversations, that you can never talk about DEI without talking about change change, and culture change. And you can never talk about culture change if you're intent on any kind of inclusion without talking about DEI as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great summary, Nikki. I, I totally agree. Any organization that is deep in this moment of DEI conversations to elevate those to a strategic question about what is our culture here and how do we create change here and you know the kind of systems we want to change rather than sort of creating some kind of narrow right. um, remit for that particular role. And anyone who divorces the change management from the good intentions will start to see what you've seen in right. the last couple of weeks or three weeks, which is right. this kind of, oh, no, it's not me, it's them. Right, right. So I, th- I, th- I think, you know, there are some people out there who are having some good success at it, but I think most of the literature that's come across my desk and the people that I've been talking to around the DEI space, in spite of them feeling like it has to be connected to the CEO, in spite of them saying there needs to be somebody who leads that charge, it's more about, you know, sort of how do we eliminate systemic discrimination rather than tying that to because change is uncomfortable. 
in our organization, not out there in society. And so, yeah, I mean, I can I can see DE and I functions as being a really essential measurement body. You know, an organization that has to measure progress towards a particular goal. But in the end, it's the CEO and the leadership team that has to own it as a as a thing. So the good news is that your CEO does, and your leadership team is already diverse. So give us some more uh, news and feedback in the coming weeks. (laughs) I'll report back. All right. Good conversation, Gavin. Yeah, good. Good to see you. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.